Welcome to Open Banking Expo Unplugged, bringing you the brightest minds in open banking, open finance and beyond. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the first episode in 2021 of Open Banking Expo Unplugged. I'm delighted to welcome you to episode three. And as a reminder, each podcast is available to download directly from Spotify and iTunes, or you can stream uh, directly from openbankingexpo.com. Now, it's been a busy start to the year, not least with the inauguration of the 46th president of the United States. Um, If Mr. Biden is listening, then we wish him uh, well in his term in office. Now, on to the uh, serious stuff. Uh, So banking license applications are plenty, showcasing some serious adoption numbers and strategic market acquisition this year means 2021 started with a bang. Today, I'm joined by Simon Lyons of the Open Banking Implementation Entity. Uh, Good morning, Simon. Good morning, Adam. How are you? Very well, thank you. Thanks for joining us. No problem. It's a pleasure to be here. And I'm also delighted to be joined this morning by Ed Adshead Grant from our partner, Bottom Line. Good morning, Ed. Good morning, Adam. Hi. Yeah, I'm here. And hi, Simon. Morning, Ed. Good stuff. Perfect. Well, thanks. Thanks for joining us, uh, gents. Much appreciated. Um, so over the next 30 minutes or so, uh, we'll be uh, tucking into the future of open banking payments, um, the headlines from the recent um, open finance consultation from the SCA, um, and future adoption levels as we shift the narrative towards open banking payments um, and open finance. Um, Ed, if I may, uh, I'm going to kick things off with yourself um, and pass the baton over to you. Um, perhaps if you can just give us a brief introduction about yourself um, and your role at Bottom Line, um, that would be good. Thanks, Adam. Yeah, so so I'm Ed Adson Grant. Um, I run a, a business development function at Bottom Line, where basically we uh, look into the 12 month plus horizon to see what's coming down the line. We liaise with the industry, see what the next strategic bets are for the organisation to help out in the payments industry, and where our investments will go to help solve you know future pain problems for our customers, to help them pay and get paid in in the business sector in particular. Perfect. So well placed to join the conversation today um, on all the themes I mentioned above. Um, so great. Thanks for that. Ed, um, Simon, I'll put the ball in your court. Um, for those that don't know you, um, a quick intro into your kind of day-to-day activity at Open Banking would be good also. Well, I'm Simon Lyons. My title is Head of Ecosystem Engagement. Um, we've all got a long title. I, my job is to grow the ecosystem, to get banks and to get fintechs to join it. Uh, which is a privilege. And the other piece is to uh, do a, quite a lot of industry awareness. So I have a very, very lucky seat. Uh, I'm the person that gets there and gets privileged enough to sit in front of industries that want to use it and find out the way they do it. And it's something that is both an education and a pleasure every day. Great stuff. Thanks, Simon. Um, so let's um, let's get cracking then. Um, and I think we'll let's set the scenes slightly. Um, uh, and Ed, I'm going to jump back to you if that's okay. Um, just to look at, I guess, the role um, that a fintech like Bottom Line have um, in um, in the fintech ecosystem, and and obviously what that means for trying to accelerate adoption in open banking. Yeah, thanks, Ed. Our, our role, in a word, is really uh, enablement. So we're looking to help our customers, be them corporates or banks, uh, to find an easy way to participate in all the innovation that's coming down the line. So we've got our roadmaps, our investments, and we're looking to support any of our customers that might need um, bandwidth, extra bandwidth to do things. Um, they may need some particular knowledge sets. They may may need funding and support. So we're at times like an innovation arm, an enablement arm, as a registered third-party provider ourselves, so very close to the open banking world, to get use cases running and uh, and bring open banking to the market in, in whatever shape or, or form it 
it arrives. Great stuff. And uh, thanks for that, Ed. Um, and I guess similarly then, um, Simon, uh, because maybe you can share some key developments um, on, on everything uh, at Open Banking and, and perhaps the strategy for, for 2021 through, through your eyes. I think that the, the big change, really, that you've seen is, is we've become more mainstream. And by that, not so much that people go and ask for open banking. There are certain uh, shoots and growths of people using open banking and actually not knowing what it is. And it's becoming an easier method of making payments. You know, we can look at the Captain Tom example. We can look certainly look at lending examples where information is faster. And as soon as people see the benefits of open banking and you start getting those green shoots, what you end up with is that greenfield site that grows. Now, for me, 2020 was a great year of creating the um, the start points for these where people have sort of considered it to be the norm. And the only way you ever find out that technology doesn't work is when you turn it off. Uh, you very, very rarely find out people saying it's very good. And when we've seen an interruption service sometimes, we've had people say, my God, I need this. And I think that's a very powerful statement. More to talk about later on. I think this year is very exciting. But we are seeing open banking become uh, the norm for certain processes. And that's very, very important for me. Good stuff. Thanks, uh, Simon. That, that kind of leads us kind of nicely on to our initial question then. Um, uh, you know, uh, this year, open banking um, is, uh, became three years old this month, and, and each year it's well documented, both in kind of consumer um, and trade publications, that this is the year for open banking acceleration. Um, and I guess for those in the inner circles, it really has been, and, and actually COVID has helped, um, you know, push that uh, that narrative on and, and helped them to d- deliver some, some fantastic use cases. Um, and, and I think, you know, we've seen huge digital adoption within financial services more broadly. Um, I think those levels will probably standardise um, as we start to come out of it and, and go into 2022. Um, so before we jump into this year then, um, and Ed, I'll come to you first. In your opinion, um, what were the key milestones for the industry last year? Um, and, and then perhaps you, c- you can pass the baton over to uh, over to Simon um, once you're done. Yeah, I, th- I think as... Um... As I look back, it's it's really about open banking becoming more established. So to me, there wasn't any really big bank moments. We, we could probably call out on the UK open banking, the, the two million user mark um, that was published. And, and that really just proved out that the, the user journeys have improved. Um, the banks have brought in uh, various propositions and other players have, have started to play with it and solve pain points and, and make it stick. So... We can see some trajectory of growth. That two million sticks sticks in my mind. And at a bottom line level, I know that we've we've had some significant wins on first contracts, first of a type that, that are still in the delivery pipe. So that's really exciting to see propositions actually land, whether they're white labelled ones with banks or direct with corporates. Um, so so those early shoots that, that Simon mentioned um, are definitely there. Um, and that's really open banking in the UK. Uh, if we went wider. Uh, even this week, actually, even Saudi Arabia, we're involved with a, yeah. a trade mission there. They've just announced their open banking plan. So although we're focused on the on the more the UK today, it's great to see the movement of open banking coming through with significant milestones on a global level. And that really helps the whole momentum and, and energy behind this. Yeah, great. Thanks, Ed. I'm, I'm sure, Simon, there's probably quite a bit you agree with there, but was there any key milestones for you last year um, that really stick out um, and, and probably set a, a foundation as we then move into to 2021? Well, 
I think you've got to look at the cycle it takes for people to change their behaviours. If you look at anything that's changed in banking over the years, look at PSR1 or PSD1, I'm old enough for that. It took sort of public <laughs> sector and local authority to use faster payments before they came mainstream, look at postal orders. And what we had last year was really, I think, a lot of the prep work to be able to set us on a launch pad for this year. We've got to split what we've got into three areas, which is sort of the banks that provide the APIs. We've got the corporates that go and use it. And then we've got the TPPs and the fintechs that will deliver it. And I saw something last year, which I think is one of the most important statements. We saw a lot of the TPPs, and I'd be interested to see if Ed agrees with this, the, the, the fintechs that we have within the open banking world, refining their propositions. So, you know, we're only three years old. We, we've got to do it. And we saw people refining it and reacting to industry need. We saw them looking at, you know, the decoupled way of sending a payment. We looked at the links and maybe not as much of the app present, maybe not as much of the brand presence. Because what suddenly was realized there was that this is to be a mainstream solution, and it is, uh, be that to provide data from a bank account or be that to uh, provide payment facilities. But much more importantly, I believe that the FinTech population understood the aggregation of data. And I think if you gave one big thing that came out of 2020, and we'll talk more about the, the more tangible events, the ones that would be measurable, but the, the sort of emotional one that changed the psyche was people understood that open banking at the bottom, at the heart, is about aggregation. It's about embedding it within other processes. It's about understanding how CRM works, understanding how a corporate needs it, and then those indirect benefits that come back down to the, um, uh, the, the consumer. And the perfect example is Captain Tom. Uh, if you go on the Just Giving site today, you will see that they have got that payment method on there. It doesn't matter who provides it, that's sort of irrelevant. But that psyche change for a mainline one was a big deal, and it's a perfect example of aggregation. Long answer to say that um, a big legwork was done there to deliver what we need. <laughs> And Ed, um, I think someone asked, I'm, I'm sure you probably agree with that. Yeah, it, it, it's all about access to data and the aggregator model's key. Um, we, we have something we call the universal aggregator that's that's core to our, our business solution set that people can plug into. So, so bringing that real-time data to the user for decision-making um, and next year as we move on, I'm very excited about the actual payment that flows. So you know, first stage 2020, I can see a lot of the data work, the the AISP, to use the jargon, work coming through. Um, but next mm. year, I think it's the PISP that will come through much, much stronger, which is very exciting. Yeah, yeah no, I think, uh, sorry, go on, Sam. No, I just, uh, here, here, I violently agree with that. Um, I, I really do. You know, I, mean, I think you've got you've got to qualify something, Adam, as well, which I think is so important as well. You know, Ed's seat in bottom line and my seat uh, where we sit in open banking, uh, Ed's in the flow of all these things. And you've got to work out which verticals are you most important for you, which use cases work. There are some you can't win with open banking. I, the, the, my biggest disappointment with open banking that frustrates me is when people look at it as a broad blanket spectrum solution. It's not. It matches certain verticals and certain workflows. And I think what Ed just said then about aggregation, you could compare it to SWIFT, to SWIFT GPI, to the corporate <laughs> aggregation. We're getting that down at the retail and the SME level now, and it's so important. It really is. Sorry, I talked too much. No, no, that's good. No, I appreciate that. Um, it kind of flows nicely into our next couple of questions um, or kind of conversation points here when we look at um, – kind of what the uh, the key differences are as we go into next year. You just mentioned the whole payments piece there, Ed. Um, and then we look at, we'll move on to the, the growth in adoption, both from a consumer and a, and a, and a business perspective. Um, so, Ed, you know, we've seen and we continue to see stats circulating, you know, the 300 TPPs or third-party providers um, for, the, for the long statement um, and around 6 billion API calls um, that, have, of the, that have come to, come to market, you know, as we know, it's not all about the, the ping, 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 um, but 
you know the success of those API calls is is the critical part. Um, so in a post COVID world, arguably, um, and this is something that open banking expos kind of set out to do over the last few years, um, you know, open banking adoption, um, it's probably more important now than it ever has been. Um, so what is different then for, for, for 2021, in your opinion? Um, I, I think the difference this year, um, and funny enough, you say ping, 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 I, I go back to your, your expo, Adam, earlier this year, and listening to one of the speakers, I think it was Yolt, who gave out the figures that less than half a percent of these ping, ping, pings are actually payment initiation uh, APIs. So back to those kind of foundation routes last year, people are getting used to data flows, real-time access to more information. The exciting bit is when the commercial reality of payments flowing uh, starts. And some of our early contracts that we've just signed, we, we've, we've seen, for example, the cost savings of moving off card rails over to open banking payments more than 50% reduction in their annual fees for payment processing. I mean, they're significant numbers just as an opening business case before you get into customer journeys and, and um, quicker reconciliation and, and other, other benefits. So I think the difference this year is it's proven um, you don't buy open banking. No one buys open banking. It's, it's the proposition and pain points that get solved. So it's proven to be a, a source of good that's in the industry. Now, how do we apply it? And in particular to payments. And, and I would expect this year, the differences will see a lot more payment centric work that comes through. And, uh, you know, d- delighted to be in that space so that we can um, bring this use case forward. Mm-hmm. Good stuff. Thanks, Ed. Um, and, and Simon, just, I guess, an interesting one. Um, you mentioned your your role within uh, with the OBIE or open banking um, and in terms of growing that ecosystem. Let's look at, I guess, the growth then in terms of the adoption side, both from a, a customer and a, and a business perspective. Um, you know, I'm sure you've gotten a, a great opinion on what you believe the, the, the catalyst will be, um, not only this year, but obviously um, looking at 2022 and beyond. Yeah, I, I am quite biased, so, so apologies. Um, I, uh, I think if you forget open banking, look at technology, we look at precedent. Um, and if we always look for our friends or people that we trust using something for us to go and adopt it, you, you can look at every uh, piece of technology adoption across the, the, the cycle from the motor vehicle with the red flag in front of it, you know, car, car crashes, deaths are higher on the roads in 1910 than they were now. And we've got 140 times the the people on the roads, it's very, very important to understand that we've got the government about to start using open banking on the front line in the next four weeks. Um, and four weeks is the maximum. The four products that the HMRC will publish are their four biggest products. And there will be a button on that website that says pay by bank. Now, that in itself is great. And there'll be a percentage of the payments that go through it. But there's a much more important message under there that it's a very efficient method for government because obviously it does remove um, the constriction of the cards flow. Um, but more importantly, it means that banks that uh, haven't got that open banking capability now will have customers that can't use it. And maybe there will be some protestation or there will be some inclusion because once we start doing things like putting fiscal payments and we open the tin a great deal wider, we're doing a bit of work on government at the moment on salaries and a little bit of work on submissions. And that would include sort of our accountancy partners for small businesses. So once again, we get to that aggregation point that the payment is not disparate from the accountancy platform or from the business. But then we've also got the data isn't disparate either. So filling your VAT return and make a payment. These are all things that are happening now. And what I think we get there is I go back to the precedent argument. Um, and as in all things in, in life and technology, it's never a slow growth curve. It's always huge bell curves where things happen in big jumps. 
And I personally think that by about July or August this year, or maybe just after the summer break, because I think people need a holiday this year after COVID, um, the spike for open banking adoption across the payments and the aggregation of the data will be high. I think that's led by government um, because the precedent of government is highly trusted. But there are so many other industries that are adopting open banking for such varied uses. And if I give you a couple of examples, the utility industry is quite remarkable. Uh, so if I go through the electricity industry and you look at what they're doing, uh, look at SMETS meters, look at the prepaid meters, look at the benefits there would be there for people to top up instantly instead of having to use a card with the chargeback. Because if you want to pay for electricity, it's in arrears, you've got to go and use it. There's lots and lots of examples that start it. The precedent starts with public sector and starts with fiscal uses. And then I believe the growth comes from there. But this is the year where the payments will increase and they'll be aggregated with the data and with the balances. Great stuff. Thanks. I mean, I, I have a spin-off question of that. Ed, did you have anything to add to that before uh, I ask my, my spin-off? Um, I, just a reflection that I think we're really well placed. So uh, just take this example. We've got the open banking and, and Simon speaking today centrally on the dashboard, looking at the UK industry, um, driving the government adoption, which I agree is a fantastic um, flag in the sand. Um, and then you've got these 300 TPPs you've mentioned, you know, with, with one of 300. So that that innovation energy money interest together with some you know central guidance and then the buying customers that have these pain points we know have been around for many many years it 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 just smells right and 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 perhaps just looking at the vc money coming in still the pe money it's right to a lot of people looking at the logic so hugely excited and this payment bit i think is absolutely the key uh, for next year yeah, you kind of give me a, that's another question, actually. And Simon, I'll direct this one back to you. you know, we've spoken about those 300 TPPs. Um, Ed just made a very valid point about the money still coming into the to, to market via VCs. Um, you know, in your role then, Simon, in terms of growing that ecosystem, you know, what are your expectations in, you know, new fintechs coming to market and making a play for this space? Um, obviously, COVID's had an impact um, across many sectors um, and many industries. I just wonder, uh, you know, we still see kind of that curve of, of fintechs coming into market and the amount of um, investment that, that uh, or what are your thoughts on the amount of investment coming into the market um, off the back of um, off the back of 2020 and, and, and ultimately what is still going to be a rocky year for, for many businesses? Well, I mean, I mean, Adam, I get 10 emails a week or five phone calls a week from VC saying, who do you know we should invest in? No, that's not my job. I operate under competition law. But the proof in the pudding yep. is in the eating. On the, on the phone with us today is Ed from Bottom Line. Bottom Line is a payment provider in the UK that if there was a problem with them, there is a systemic risk. They would change the entire profile of the payments landscape. So if you want the statement about how attractive the open banking ecosystem is, you've got Bottom Line. What are you, Ed? 2.2 billion market cap? And you control yeah. about what's six. 60% of the UK's direct debit volumes, they're a TPP. Now, that's a powerful mm-hmm. statement. So what we're proving there is, is that the demand is there. And then we, we look across the market as well. We've got AJ Bell Wealth Managers in the ecosystem, as well as many, many others. I'm not picking on any um, particular names. The flow of money, I think, um, is a much bigger issue uh, than just being fintechs, while interest rates are where they are and where the yield on uh, other market, other investments will be there. There are a lot of family funds and a lot of family offices looking for a return that's better than 2%. So they're taking some cautious views. I think a more established fintech or TPP to get them into profit after two years is a a great deal, better chance of getting investment. However, the market is brand new. We're only three years in. 
And to, to be honest, to the point before about where TPPs are refining their propositions, you know, look at direct debits. There's a great use case for open banking in direct debits. Um, and there's a lot of direct debits about at the moment. They're not going anywhere. And there's a lot of people that are looking at legacy industries that open banking can add a flavor to that is a very, very safe investment. So the amount of money coming in from VC and PE, I really don't see stopping it in the short term at all. I think there's a lot of interest. Biggest problem, uh, and we're all guilty of it, chaps. We're all going to give ourselves a slap on the wrist. We've got to stop using acronyms and make open banking accessible language. Because the longer we, you know, the longer we persist with AISP, ASPSP, PISP, you know, TPP, TSP, we make it inaccessible to the market. The amount of times I start presentations with industry and, you know, 10 people on the board of a utility company, which we did last week, or 10 senior managers said, what is open banking? We're getting something wrong. I think that the flow of money and the investment gets higher and higher as the understanding gets greater as well. Is there, on that note then, Simon, we talk about kind of what is open banking. And I think if we put a, uh, you know, delivered a podcast just talking about what open banking is for our inner circles, it probably wouldn't get much traction. So then have we failed in taking that communication to wider markets? Um, you mentioned utilities oh. and telecoms slightly behind the curve, obviously from F standard FS in terms of potentially the tier one banks or the CMA nine, of course. Um, but so where does that lie then in terms of um, taking that uh, broader communication to, to market? Well, it, it's really, it's relevance, isn't it? It's like if you bought somebody a computer, but they weren't interested in it and they wouldn't use it. So, so you have to present some kind of relevance. And, you know, it's, it's a silly anecdote. My dad was a, a bookmaker and a huge racing fan. And we bought him a computer and, and my dad wouldn't use the remote control on the television. Within about three weeks when he worked out, he could have live uh, streaming of racing from 15 meetings across the world. He cracked it all. So you have to have a reason. Now, it's a silly anecdote, but it's a real one. So when I sit in front of a utility company and say, hey, you know what you can do? You can get a more accurate assessment of your client so you don't impair them. You don't put them in a difficult position for affordability because off-gen and off-water are incredibly highly regulated bodies. We've got a reason. We've, we've got to make it relevant to them. It's no good just talking about how it works. We've got to start talking about what it does. And I say the same thing to explain open banking to anybody. Um, we've been um, dictated to how you use your bank. Well, suddenly you're not. Open banking allows you to service your bank in your bank account, and that's whatever method that is, in a way that you want to do it. Get the bank you want, not the one you've been given. And that really is what we're getting to. The principle of it is our servicing channel for the bank has changed. Now, if you put that into the realms of a large corporate and they wanted to get bank account data on people in insolvency, say, the limit, their, op, their options are pretty limited presently, but suddenly open banking changes it. You know, if we'd have sat and had a beer, me, you and Ed, 20 years ago, and I'd have said, you know what, Ed, in 20 years, accountants are still going to get a shoebox of receipts and the statements posted to them, and cards are going to take three days to settle, and a direct debit will take 10 days to set up. You'd probably have laughed. That's where we are. And the only thing I've seen that changes that fundamentally is open banking, because it gives you the chance. And I personally think it's the biggest change I'll see in banking in my lifetime and the most positive but we've got to start making it relevant. Yeah, I remember, Adam, uh, what comes to mind there from Simon's comments is, uh, was about 18 months ago, the uh, Dutch fintech world uh, did an advert. It's on record of, of uh, trying to explain open banking to the consumer. And they had yeah. someone coming, <laughs> knocking on the door, asking for data. It, it was just done the wrong way. I mean, we learned from it. Yeah. We thank them for it. But um, pe people don't buy open banking back to the same point. It is how do you make it relevant? And as soon as people recognize that they can get better advice, more real-time information, predicted products for them, extra choice, you know, you start rolling in the outcomes 
and it's very exciting and and you can't put it back in the in the bottle this this whole open banking will lead to open finance will lead to open data um, and some countries are even starting at the other end like in australia with you know open yeah. data and then open banking is a sub part of it so um these these business cases the benefits the relevance is so important and we're not selling open banking itself hmm. i think we have, we've skipped a, a few hurdles there I mean, i'm going to go back to one of my uh, my spin-off questions um but for instance um Dan Globerson said, who's the head of open banking at, um, at NetWest Group, you know, when we stop talking about open banking, um, that's probably when it will be considered more mainstream. And I think that ultimately um, sets the tone um, and, and mirrors what you both have just said there. Um, in terms of just going back to, um, and then I want I want to look at moving on to kind of broader open finance and, and the recent uh, a variable reoccurring payments consultation. When we look at kind of growth in the market, um, I just want to quickly look at um, or touch on 90-day reauth. So um, is that something um, that you see over the next, or certainly in 2021, maybe beyond? Um, I know um, Imran um, from Open, Open Bank Implementation Entity was, was, was talking about it very recently. Um, you know, obviously coming under a directive, is that something that uh, you think may change over the next 12 months because ultimately it's causing a massive issue especially within businesses who, who are effectively getting everything set up by using various accounts um or and software to to streamline their business processes and then they've got this huge kind of 90-day reauth uh, hurdle um is that something that we can see some movement on over the next 12 18 months i don't know if you've, either of you have got a, an opinion on that simon did you want to jump in first given yeah sure i've been I mean, on the stage <laughs> It's a difficult one, isn't it? I mean, the fact is, it would be wonderful if we could turn around and say that auth will be until the person cancels it as well. But we boil down to that nasty word in banking every time, which is liability. And we've got to be very respectful. I mean, number one, I've got to compliment and pay a great deal of respect to the guys that work in policy, in the Office of the Trustee and in standards, because even to get the banks to agree to, you know, we're going we're gonna to impose a standard that's 90 day, that's three months. Um, you know, it's a VAT quarter, if you look at it that way as well around. To extend it is difficult, but I think you've got to understand the challenges. As with everything in life, it is never the bulk of the population or the bulk of the users that cause the risk. It is always a minority. If you look at any abuse of anything, when the liability comes in, you have to say what happens in the worst case scenario. So what we've got to do is look at the worst case scenario and extending that off to 180 days or 360 days. Let's say somebody forgets and then they use it for identity. And it's very, very difficult because in the mainstream, if you've not worked in the banking world to look at liability of payments or flows or data, it's what happens if it goes wrong as you, your agent. I think it will change. And I think it will change when the trust and the precedent comes in from each of the industries. The interesting thing, which I was talking to a colleague about, it's not an OB um, opinion, which obviously I, I, I can't express in that respect, but the interesting thing would be, wouldn't it be great if you could have a variable one? Uh, wouldn't it be wonderful if you could actually have a user-defined one? Well, that's probably throwing a, a cat amongst the pigeons. Um, I, think it, I think it will change. When, uh, I don't know, but I do know that it's something that Imran, that Alan, that Chris, that all the guys back at Open Banking talk about a great deal and it's very, very high on their agenda. Um, and obviously for it to grow, it, it, it would help if it does, but I'll finish there if I may on the subject. Did you have anything to add on that, uh, Ed? I'm coming to you next on another question. But... I, I, think it's, I think it's timing um, on this. So when you look at, uh, well, let's look at contactless just recently and how that's taken off mm. with the COVID conditions. That's not new. Contactless has been around for a long, long time. Suddenly we put up the yeah. limits. That's a use case. And it's now, you know, ubiquity. Um, even 20022, I've, I've, I've got a, um, 
session on 2022 later today. That's been around uh, the original papers, the Millennium 2000, published in 2004. Um, now that's finally coming into, I would say, ubiquity as the financial services standard around, you know, ISOs for the, for the ISO geeks around us. Um, so it, it takes time. And just with uh, consent models and the liability, the trust builds, and it will move. I don't know the timing um, around it, but uh, it will move and it will become accepted norms and it just becomes the, the, the risk accepted way of working. Yeah. Great. Thanks, Ed. Um, and I'm going to stick with you, if I may. I'm going to move the conversation on slightly. Um, so as we look kind of at the move to open finance and um, and I guess uh, more specifically the, the recent uh, VRP or, or Variable Reoccurring Payment Consultation, um, Ed, I'm sure you've probably got some some potential headlines or snippets that you'd like to share in terms of your thought process, you know, both personally, but also from a bottom line perspective. Yeah, well, I think we started to touch on them. So um, at the specific level with VRP, um, uh, in terms of the varying um, pay, recurring payment, um, that's a welcome uh, consultation. It's To me, this is all about adding more functionality around uh, the open banking payment, which, in fact, even now we're calling it an open banking payment, PISP. Well, it's, it's a faster payment at the end of the day. It goes on faster <laughs> yeah, payment yeah. rails. So, so the consumer, the man on the street, uh, the business would probably just understand it. oh it's a faster payment um so it's to me it's you know adding some steroids to the, the the opening point of open banking payments it's more functionality it's got the sweeping piece in there so i'm not sure when the actual publication of output is from that but certainly we've um written a lot on the inputs it's under discussions as various meetings and, and it's welcome to bring uh you know more value to the potential of open banking the, the open finance bit which is more the fca's call for input recently again we're waiting for publishment of that publication of that um that that is i i'd even use the word inevitable so let, let's talk about it but let's um speed that up and uh understand the pace of change but already other economies are uh moving there and if if uk plc wants to compete wants to be interoperable with the world. Let's throw in a bit of post-Brexit um, energy in terms of trading uh, around the, the whole planet. Then this kind of open finance stuff, it, it all helps in terms of information flows, um, mutual re reciprocal work with um, different bodies. And it, it just gives a whole 360 view for the consumer or the business to make better decisions, real time, be more effective, be more successful, more profitable, um, so it's it's welcome. And I'll just tag on the end. It, it's the interim bit before we get to open data, which is the uh, ultimate goal of data flowing securely around the ecosystem. Great. Yeah, thanks. I think, um, and I guess moving on slightly um, in terms of some news that came out from HSBC earlier this week and, and how we look at open banking payments or faster payments, let's call it that. It's far simpler. Ultimately, that's the, the raw piece behind it and, and what it is. Um, so, yeah, I mean, HSBC, as I mentioned, announced a deal to provide open banking payments uh, or the platform to a car and salvage uh, auction company um, early this week, which is interesting. And, and, and we can start to see that roll out across many industries. Um, and I think in conversations we've had here at Open Banking Expo, even as far back as potentially Q1, um, when we hosted a, a live kind of TV debate with the likes of Clearbank and, and Lloyd's Banking Group, um, you know, many are saying that, you know, open banking payments are, um, you know, the route to to broader fi uh, open finance um, and open finance implementation. Would you both agree with that? Um, is that the key part? Do we think you know open banking payments got a critical role to play? Uh, 
you want me to pick that up? I mean, for me, once again, you get back to the word of precedent. It will be put the word open in front of a lot of things and we put it in front of open finance. But the first one was open banking. So we could actually go a little bit further. I'll throw you another one there, open government. Why shouldn't we have our government services API'd so we can get to that? Corporation tax, probate, DWP, HM Majesty's Court Service. You know, there's lots and lots of things there. And we're giving them the names. I just said it before, open data. But I think what we've done is, is we've, we've started, it's not Pandora's box. It's a much more pleasant experience than that. But we've started this journey of saying, well, actually, you know what now? We can open up everything and see what works together well. Um, and the journey of open finance for me is a very exciting one. And I think there is the example that we have got um, the chance of opening up much more data and sharing it in services we want to consume. I think it's all good. The HSBC one's really interesting. If you think about the actual legal change within the, uh, the scrap industry and within the car industry of taking payments and the £9,000 limit, once again, when you delve into the use case, you see how well open banking matches it. You know, you see just how strong that case is about open banking payments at an auction. They are really, really solid. I used to bank a big auction house in my days at the Cooperative Bank. Um, we're getting more and more relevance. Open banking is allowing that. And it's only being allowed because we can use the data, use the payments, use the services in the manner that are needed by that industry. So vertical applicability is critical for me. No, it really is fantastic to see um, when we start looking at um, how open banking principles are, are being applied um, across industry. Um, and uh, Ed, did you have anything to, uh, to to tag on to that? Um, I've got kind of a final um, question uh, specifically around the Plaid and Visa deal, um, just to have a quick conversation on that before we wrap up. Um, but I didn't know if you wanted to tag anything onto Simon's thoughts there. Um, I, th I think it's um, probably one thought is as the incumbents look around and every incumbent i hope has an open banking strategy at, at, you know board level what are we doing with this what are we doing with the extra data how do we compete where are we relevant um i think a lot of the incumbents need to ask you know where are we going to add value so what do we keep in-house and fight for and put our scrum teams on an it resource and yeah. where do we partner and where do we collaborate um and literally i had this conversation with the bank yesterday um where um it's it's on a topic where They've already got a solution um, around a certain um, fraud preventative area. And they're saying, Ed, there's, we had no value whatsoever to take this any further. We, we might as well buy this in now. It's going to become a utility and we'll focus on other client journey pieces. Um, so I think there is the um, area of collaboration models and a, a moment in time when you kind of look in the mirror and go, right, all this data is flowing around. We've mentioned all the TPPs that have come in to add innovation and competition and collaboration into the ecosystem. How can I be discerning on where I can add value to my customer journey, remove pain points, and what do I really need to keep in-house or what can I you know, partner and, and take forward in a different way? That's quite a key question, I think, for people in 2021 to get their heads around the the massive project of stuff that could be done because we all have too few people and too long a list on the projects. Um, how do you make that best decision to optimize it? Yeah, I completely agree. Thanks for that, Ed. And um, I just want to touch on the Plaid Visa deal. We talk about M&A. Um, my final question after that will be around, you know, if we sit down in 12 months time, we talk about adoption levels, we talk about growth in the ecosystem, um, and we talk about kind of open banking. Um, becoming more mainstream, I will will be asking you for your predictions as to what that conversation might look like if we were to sit down in 12 months' time in, in Q1 2022. Um, before we get to that uh, point, um, so 
obviously the, the the plaid visa deal fell through um very recently um and was announced uh, very recently um do you you know that being off the table um but obviously with the continued growth that we're seeing um you know what type of M&A do you see in the marketplace, both in the short and the long term? And that was a really interesting deal. Um, there were various reasons uh, in the press as we see um, mm. you know, why that didn't why that didn't happen. And we can draw our own conclusions. Um, but just M&A generally, it'd be good to maybe get a com- bit of commentary from you both on that. Uh, happy to jump in. And, and I'm sure that there must be tears in San Francisco. Um, but the, <laughs> I think the plaid deal was, was, was fantastic. Um, and, and, and I mean, I mean, Visa are great partners, and I thought it was beautifully set up. Uh, fascinating valuations in this space, and, and um, we do a lot. In fact, I think at the expo, Adam, I talked about the cross-border payments work we do with Visa. So th- yeah. those guys will bounce back. I, I know there's a plan B, and they will be relevant to open banking, of course. Um, but uh, what 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 can we learn from it? What's going on? Well, it's definitely a busy area. Um, I think there could be some consolidation in in the um, API providers there's quite a few out there um, it does become a utility depending on how they um, show their growth curves into connectivity and add, adding all the um, different api systems together um, i i would just generally i would say um, domains where if you look at real-time data enriching the current technology that's out there and if you've got platforms out there We've just invested ourselves just recently in some more cash management technology. Um, that's an example where for treasurers, you know you can enrich the fields and experience through open data, open banking pools. Um, that's an interesting area for, I think, um, combinations, M&A work. Just a few ideas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, great. Thanks, Ed. And um, I appreciate uh, your thought process. I might be slightly different, obviously, under, under competition law, but do you have any thought processes on that? Well, it's what you were buying, wasn't it? I mean, I looked, I've got to say, first of all, you've got to compliment the person that uh, did the deal in Plaid to get that valuation. That was awesome. Uh, you know, it broke <laughs> every single point of it. And you, you can't discount the, uh, the public um, uh, scrap that, that goes on, maybe, maybe sometimes between a couple of the players. Well, it does inflate the prices, rather. I think what it does show is something much more important that, you know, that was essentially an aggregator. American banking, as, as Ed will know as well as anybody, I'm sure you do too, Adam, it's completely different to European banking as German banking is different, you know, the way Sparkast branches work. Um, and they needed to gain access to these branches to build the open data. It shows the value of aggregation, the value of getting to the banks. What I think it does as well is it means that the next level of aggregators, the next level of CPPs that come into the market, the next level of the Yodelies, who were probably in the best seat on the planet about five, six years ago, um, they're going to look at them and gonna say, you know what, we need to do more. We need to make sure that the offering we've got now is so much richer. So I think the next big purchase, some of it doesn't just build aggregation, they build journeys. And what they do is they basically say, right, you can connect to this bank, Mr. Corporate, and you need to do so little work. They're just going to do all the legwork for them. They're going to plug into more things like KYC and AML, account opening, and aggregation becomes much more of almost banking as a service for that back office. Is there going to be more of them? 100%. And I think there'll be one announced in about 10 days as well. Uh, there's no two ways about it. The rumblings are there already. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Thanks. And um, right, gents, you've got a 30 second shop window, each of you. Um, we're going to sit down. Uh, maybe we'll sit down beforehand, but we certainly will sit down in early 2022. Um, we're having a conversation, uh, potentially 
maybe we'll be able to do it face to face in a studio in London somewhere. Who knows? Um, what predictions are you making um, for the next 12 months? Um, we've touched on um, quite a lot of it already. But as a, if someone's just come into the podcast late in the day, you've got 30 seconds. Um, Ed, I'll start with you first. Um, I'm going to predict a lot more action in the business um, area. I think the UK government have, have have stolen a march on that fantastic on the way that they've brought open banking in. There's been a lot of focus on consumer. Don't forget the corporate and business in the middle. I think we'll get some fantastic use cases this year, but not just open banking. I think you combine the open banking with the real-time nature. We mentioned 20022 data. These the three or four different um, elements come together at quite a unique point in time to, I think, next year bring some fantastic um, business use cases where open banking has solved pain points with that combination of um, data and real time. Great. Thanks, Ed. As Simon, you've got 30 seconds. Off you go. I think that you will find that there will be a lot of consumers that will realise by the end of September or October. And to Ed's point, I agree, there'll be business consumers and retail consumers and businesses that have used open banking and they didn't know they did because they trusted the partner they worked with and they trusted the buyer and seller relationship they have. And the numbers we will see by the end of August will be a multiple, in my opinion, of three digits. Wow, great. Well, both those predictions are imprinted mentally in my mind. I'll hold you to them. And like I say, we'll, we'll certainly revisit them. Um, so as we look then uh, and to continue to, to work towards um, kind of the pinnacle of open banking payments, as, as we look to wrap up now, um, and bringing open banking into the mainstream, which has certainly been a theme, um, not only in this podcast, but um, the narrative at many kind of uh, events and other virtual platforms over the last 12 months. Um, I do think it's clear that 2021 um, could really be the year we finally create a, a bit of a melting pot, if you like, between regulation um, and innovation um, that, that really will work in, in, in harmony to, to make a, a better marketplace for all. And I think um, the last kind of 40 minutes or so on this podcast session um, probably uh, probably proves that. Um, so to Ed, um, to Simon, many thanks for, for joining uh, the uh, Unplugged session um, for, for today. Um, and we hope to, to welcome you back uh, again soon. So thank you uh, very much to you both. Thank you. Thank you, Adam. Good to speak to you. Thank you very much. Good stuff. Thanks. And um, and to our listeners, thanks again for, for tuning in. Um, and remember, all previous Unplugged sessions are available for download via Spotify and iTunes um, and also can be streamed directly from openbankingexpo.com. Um, Perfect. Um, thanks again all and goodbye for now. <laughs>